this is Sandy. And Randy. And we're here on AT Corner. Being an athletic trainer comes with ups and downs, and we're here to showcase it all. Join us as we share our world in sports medicine. Welcome back to another episode of AT Corner. For this education episode, we are talking about plantar fasciitis, or the, maybe the correct term would be plantar fasciopathy. And that's a new one for me, surprisingly. What's funny is when we had Scott on, we were just talking about it. And he brought up plantar fasciopathy. And I said, yes. I mean, it makes sense. I just never thought about it. I don't think many people think of plantar fasciitis and then plantar fasciopathy. Like, I feel like that'd be weird to say because everyone's just so used to saying plantar fasciitis. I feel like tendinopathy sounds better. Plantar tendinopathy. No. (laughs) So with this being... An education episode. What is special about these episodes? So you guys, if you are new or if you are a seasoned listener, this episode is eligible for free CEUs through our partner, Precision AT. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Big thank you to them. Make sure you check the show notes for the links for the course evaluation and the course quiz. If you guys want bonus content, we do have bonus content available for purchase. It will include the show outline. It will include a demonstration and instructions on how to do toe yoga and how to do arch shaping. Which, by the way, Sandra is really good at toe yoga. Yeah, you can only see my skills if you purchase the bonus content. Yeah, you. I will not bore everyone with me trying to do it and then you paying me to watch me struggle at toe yoga. So we'll get a pro to do that. If you also purchase that, it will also give you an extra 0.25 CEUs. Yes, absolutely. So let's get into it. Yeah, so for talking about plantar fasciitis, our objectives are we're going to discuss the relevant anatomy of the foot as it relates to the plantar fascia, because of course, got to talk about anatomy. Then we're going to examine some treatment options for those with plantar fascia pain. And then we're going to look at some biomechanical deficits associated with plantar fascia pain and how we can use these deficits to guide what we're going to do with rehabilitation. I'm really excited for this, but let's start with the anatomy. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Why do you go from, we're, I'm excited, but anatomy. Anatomy's dope. It is, but sometimes when you're listening to a podcast, it, could it can be, be dry. very boring. But let's, let's make this fun. Ready? Yes, this is one of those wines, even though it's dry, it's very good. So the plantar fascia. As, I mean, really basic, right? Fibrous brand over the plantar surface of the foot. We all kind of learn that remember that it helps support the arch and it also aids in propulsion and this is kind of through what what we all know as the windless mechanism or the windless effect but what most people don't consider we sometimes hear about it but there's not people just mostly talk about it and really not really dive into it is the connection between the plantar fascia and the achilles tendon um i don't know why this just reminded me of this but when i'm teaching my class i'd actually it's a class for community college students, and I actually teach the Achilles and the plantar fasciitis together. Yes. So there is definitely connections between the plantar fascia and the Achilles. There's very thin connections through the calcaneus periosteum. So if you're really to break it down and look at where these fibers are going, they are definitely connect- connected. But what I thought was very interesting is as you age, you lose that connection. Wait, what do you mean? So as you age, the connection between the plantar fascia and the Achilles starts to get smaller because it 
just starts to develop into bone. So the actual connection between between the two actually starts to get smaller and maybe even disappear. What does that mean? It's just kind of a fun fact. So it doesn't have to do with like performance or... I mean, it can if you're thinking about an older adult than maybe someone who's like of an advanced age, like getting into their 60s or so. The effect of the Achilles tendon relating to the plantar fascia may not be as big as someone who's an athlete. For sure, in our younger population, so you're more athletes, your higher physical activity group, this is definitely important. You're definitely assuming there's a connection between the two. So does that mean when, because when I treat plantar fascia, I treat a lot of the calf. And so does that mean that when I'm working with some of my older patients, maybe that would not have as great of outcomes as when I'm working with my younger athletes? It may not be as important as maybe addressing more of the plantar fascia. Okay. Okay. See, that's the kind of tangible that I (laughs) wanted to get to. But yeah, so this connection between the Achilles and the plantar fascia, it just shows how close of a relationship that they have. Obviously, they're connected to each other. And there is evidence that's showing that those with Achilles tendinopathy or those with Achilles tendinopathy have also had thickening of the plantar fascia. So anytime you kind of think of tendinopathies, usually on a diagnostic ultrasound or MRI, they look to see how thick the tendon is. If the tendon or fascia is thicker, that means there's some kind of trauma going on. So that's kind of good to know because you can also treat the plantar fascia in someone with Achilles tendinopathy because they have such a close relationship and they do help each other out. Because they're connected. Connected. Okay, let's talk about intrinsic foot muscles. Yes, we can't talk about the plantar fascia without talking about those little itty bitty muscles in the foot. So the intrinsic foot muscles, and there are tons of them. There's like four different layers. It's It gets really intense and then As Sandra said, if I were to start naming off names, we would just get really boring and you'll probably turn this podcast off. So we're not going to do that. But in general, the intrinsic foot muscles provide a dynamic support for the arch, right? The muscles always are dynamic stabilizers. They help take load off of the, the plantar fascia and helping support the arch and helping with propulsion. What's very interesting, which you would think makes sense and it kind of seems like, well, duh, but isn't really talked about in anatomy is these muscles share a very close relationship with the plantar fascia as well. They've actually found some fascial connections between some of the intrinsic foot muscles and the plantar fascia itself. So I believe some of them, I think the muscles are like abductor digiti quinti, the abductor um, halicus, right? Those kind of ones that you kind of think about in the intrinsic foot muscles that are common in research share connections with the plantar fascia. And what's interesting in these areas of connections, it is highly innervated with a lot of, now this is really going throwback, the Pacini and Rufian corpuscles. Okay, too technical. (laughs) So essentially what's going on in these areas that are connected, there's a lot of innervation. And these, these areas are very important for proprioception. So it highlights how important not only the plantar fascia is about knowing where your foot is in space and what loads on it, but also for the muscles as well. The Basically, the bottom of the foot is really good at telling your body where it's at. So when you're dealing with plantar fascia, you want to make sure that you're dealing with the intrinsic muscles of the arch, um, all the little fancy names that you just said, but basically because they're also connected just like the Achilles tendon is connected. Absolutely, and which means... Besides the whole innervation thing, they also 
have a huge role in supporting that plantar fascia because of those connections. They influence each other. So if something's wrong with the plantar fascia, there might be something wrong with the intrinsic foot muscles and vice versa. Nice. All right. So how do we even determine who is at, and I know this is a, maybe a bad question, but who do we determine who is at risk for development of plantar fascia? Yeah. So there are definitely studies that have looked at the risk factors for developing plantar fascia pain. And some really like pretty consistent ones are body mass index, body mass in general, training load. Those are pretty consistent. If you have a heavier athlete or a heavier patient, they have a higher likelihood of developing plantar fascia pain. A lot more force is going through the foot that has to be absorbed. Obviously, if you're busting out 100 miles each day running, I don't know why you'd want to do that anyways, <laughs> but your plantar fascia is probably going to break down. So those ones are very consistent in the literature as being pretty good at saying like hey you're probably going to break down at some point what i thought was interesting kind of going through some stuff is there's been mixed findings on range of motion like deficits in range of motion or maybe too much range of motion and i account i account for these like mixed results is because of the different methodologies so one example is limited dorsiflexion has shown some conflicting findings on is it a risk factor or is it not a risk factor some say yes some say no And I think what you have to do is you have to really examine the scope of what other compensations get created because of a lack of dorsiflexion. Some of those are increased pronation, right? We've heard that if you don't have enough dorsiflexion, your foot's going to find a way to create motion and it's probably going to do over pronation. Um, Also increased rear foot eversion, which is a part of the motion of pronation as well. So some studies say those are risk factors. So if you look at those in combination, it kind of leads to limited dorsiflexion might actually be a risk factor, but some of these studies aren't picking it up because they're not looking at it. They're only looking at it maybe in like a a year or something, like not a long-term kind of study. And also pronation, like just the idea of pronation, it's a multi-planar movement, whereas something like dorsiflexion is really just in one plane. So that also makes it complex. So I think if you're looking at these kind of like limited range of motions, if you find studies that say increased pronation or increased rear foot eversion and limited dorsiflexion, and they're all showing mixed results, maybe together, they might actually show that it is a risk factor. And another thing that I thought was interesting was another study found that increased plantar flexion range of motion was a risk factor. Oh, really? Yes. But when you think about it also... If you have too much plantar flexion, you might have lost dorsiflexion and your increased plantar flexion is because of calf tightness, which if you have calf tightness, what are you probably limited in? Well, the calf is connected to the plantar fascia. (laughs) That's true. So you might have limited dorsiflexion. So I think if you look at some of these studies and take them in combination as opposed to just the studies themselves, I think you can feel pretty confident that, hey, if someone has like a limitation in dorsiflexion or maybe they have too much pronation, rear foot eversion or all of the above, that foot might be in trouble. So basically, if your foot does not move in the range of motion that it should, then it's going to compensate somewhere and most likely with those specific risk factors, it's going to compensate at the plantar fascia. Exactly, because the any pronation or rear foot eversion, which of course the plantar fascia attaches to the rear foot and the calcaneus, it adds more strain to the plantar fascia. So it, it's all connecting. Okay, but what about strength, not just posture? 
So strength can be involved involved in this. Some have shown that a low calf strength or a low arch strength can predispose someone to um, plantar fascia pain. There's not a ton out there on that. A lot of times it's kind of retrospective, but I mean, it could definitely play a role. Absolutely. Because they're connected. That is the theme of this episode is just connections. Everything's connected. So fascia does. And that's what Facebook does. Okay. Well, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Um, actually going back to the dorsiflexion. Um, so we're talking about risk factors, but I was really interested in knowing if that goes backwards, like some of the other episodes that we've done where some of the risk factors you can use in the treatment. So if someone has limited dorsiflexion and that might be what's causing their plantar fascia pain, do you think that working on that range of motion would help with their plantar fascia pain. Absolutely. And that's what's very interesting when you look at like the different treatment protocols and some of the guidelines and recommendations. Literature has shown that just like stretching protocols for the calf and the plantar fascia have really good success at treating plantar fascia pain. Again, why would you need to stretch if you don't have limited range of motion, right? So obviously you have some limitation somewhere. Something's tight, which if a muscle's tight, the joint's not moving as much. Stretching should help. And that's what we're seeing. Did you read anything about mobilization of the great toe or like great toe extension range of motion? And that's part of the plantar fascia stretching. I didn't read anything specifically on great toe range of motion. Um, I'll have to double check to see. I'm sure there's something out there. But um, but when they talk about plantar fascia stretching, they're also including that great toe motion. So it could definitely play a role. Okay, because I mean, maybe it's just because most of my plantar fascia pain has been when I was working with dancers a lot. But um, I feel like a lot of I get a lot of good outcomes from stretching the great toe or working on great toe mobilization. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up mobilization. So. Manual therapy has also been looked at, and when it's added to these normal protocols of strengthening or stretching, it is shown to give you a little bit more better of a result than each of those protocols in isolation. And this is similar to what we do in practice, right? We don't just like tell someone to stretch and like, oh, like eh, we'll call it a day or eh, just do some exercise. No, we try to do a combination of things that we think is going to help our athletes or our patients. And when the literature talks about manual therapy, it's pretty much what you think of manual therapy. It could be mobile, joint mobilizations. It could be joint manipulations. It could just be trigger point, like actively stuff like that. So, so I'm glad you brought up great toe mobilization because if the great toe is limited, that's a deficit that could be causing this issue. We do want to address that. And especially from the aspect of we're also trying to prevent other injuries that might pop up from this. So definitely manual therapy and mobilizations do have a place when you're treating plantar fascia pain. Yeah, I mean, I I just put it in because of the thought of how the flexor halicus longus runs down the arch um, and kind of, very, I mean, I'm sure it has some sort of plantar fascia attachment. Absolutely. I have not looked that up in an anatomy book, but um, I'm sure you could probably tell me. Oh, I'm sure. Um, But I just went along the line of pull and I feel like that is a really good way to stretch the plantar fascia or Absolutely. in that area. And then also I do my my rehab with that too. So if they're doing calf raises, I'll try to get their their great toe to be extended 
as much as I can or I'll have them do like a great toe stretch um, or or just in general, just trying to get that great toe mobilized so that we're really getting that plantar fascia in a motion that it might not normally be in so that when it does go in that motion, it is able to withstand it. Yeah, absolutely. And also when we talk about like mobilizations of tissue, let's not also like let's not forget other muscles that might be influencing this like the hamstrings. There's definitely been it's been shown that patients with plantar fascia pain do have tightness of their hamstrings and their posterior um their posterior change structure. So don't just limit it to like oh well you have plantar fascia pain. We're only stretching two muscle groups and that's it. I'm not looking at anything else. No, you can, again, you're trying to find other deficits that might be influencing this because the summary of this episode apparently is everything's connected. I was just about to say that. See, great minds think alike. One thing that I would say ATs are pretty good at and usually comes across our mind at some point is being able to tape the problem. And taping does have some pretty good support on helping with plantar fascia pain. In particular, like the teardrops or like the low die taping techniques. Those have been supported to decrease pain in patients with plantar fascia pain in conjunction with your normal rehab. So it helps take some pressure off that plantar fascia while it's trying to heal and while you're doing your early rehab. So it's definitely in the short term, I would say taping's a good thing to try. Well, I always think of taping as a band-aid anyway, so... The way that I explain it to my patients is what we're doing is a Band-Aid because rehab is not a Band-Aid, and right now you need a Band-Aid. So we're going to do rehab because your injury didn't happen overnight, so you're not going to fix it overnight. But while we're doing that, we're also going to do this Band-Aid that will fill in the gaps of what we need until we can get to that point that we don't need that. Absolutely. So... Now that we talked about like some of the treatment stuff we can do, let's talk about our actual rehab. Let's talk about some of these deficiencies that we see in those with plantar fascia pain. Because as we've mentioned in plenty of our episodes, injury can create other problems and deficits within the motor system throughout the body. So it doesn't just have to be the injury itself or what caused that injury, but also what the injury is now doing and what can, can predispose you later. And patients with plantar fascia pain have shown to have decreased quad strength and an actual and actually a slower hamstring reaction time. I thought that was very interesting as well. Wait, can you break that down? Yeah. So essentially the time for the hamstrings to like contract and produce force was slower than in someone with plantar fascia pain compared to someone who didn't have pain. So they're someone who didn't have pain. Their hamstrings reacted faster to creating force. Uh, posterior muscle, so it's all connected. It's, again, <laughs> it's all connected. And also when you think about quad strength too, the quads have a role in that propulsion of the body as well. So it, both are similar roles. Decreased force from the quads could be a way to protect the plantar fascia from, you know, if you're producing too much force on the plantar fascia, that's going to cause pain. You know, the body is really good at protecting itself and... Sometimes it is really great and so intuitive, and sometimes it's like, no, body, stop that. <laughs> well, what's interesting is it's really good in the short term. So when you're really in pain at that moment, like it's pretty good at doing that. It's not good at like, oh, I'm not hurting anymore. I don't need to do this pattern. 
I need to protect myself. I need to leave my walls up in case <laughs> this happens again. Yeah, it might happen again. In case I get hit in the quad, I'm just going to create a force field shield on my thigh. Yes, with bone. With bone. So we're getting a little sidetracked <laughs> on that one, but I like that. Um, also, patients with plantar fascia pain have shown to have weakness in the calves and in the intrinsic foot muscles. Again, as a way to try and protect the injured area, they don't want a lot of force getting pulled on the tissue. Again, intrinsic muscles attached to the plantar fascia. So, as you can kind of see what we're hinting at, strengthening and motor control exercises have shown to improve pain and function in those with plantar fascia pain. And the literature has shown that it's it may not be superior to just stretching. So if you just take some studies that compare the two, you'll probably see like, oh, you got the same results. But I think you need to take a d- deeper look. And when we look at this research, I mean, that's why it's always they pay us the big bucks for these uh, critical thinking moments and digesting research. These studies don't really account for the long term prevention of re-injury. Right. I mean, what they probably look at maybe a year, you know, after the injury or something, I don't think that really gives you the full picture of what your rehab is actually doing for patients and preventing the chance of re-injury. They just really like those studies just look at like, oh, well, how do you feel? Like, how'd your pain go? How does your function go? As opposed to looking longer and like, did you eventually get re-injured? Also, they don't look at what your rehab has addressed from other deficiencies that developed from injury, right? These studies just look at this one area, but they don't account for like, well, did your hamstring strength get better or your quadriceps strength get better? Like, how did you move after that? And what's interesting is some of the studies that have looked at just strengthening for plantar fascia pain have shown that someone's gait when they had plantar fascia became more normal after the plantar fascia pain. So those with plantar fascia pain tend to walk with smaller steps they don't have as fast of a gait that normalized after strengthening they walked a little bit faster their stride length increased so you can see that rehab can play a huge role in how someone moves and eventually prevent them from getting injured from that same area or maybe a different area yeah i guess it's kind of hard to research what you don't get injured on exactly and also like the time it would take to just follow people for like five years, 20 years. Like that's a long time and that's kind of hard to do. So what sorts of plantar fascia have you seen clinically? What sorts of patients, how'd they present? How'd you treat them? I think one of the most interesting one, and this one is kind of like my biggest example of why um, cortisone is not your, shouldn't be your first go-to and is not the best answer I know exactly what you're going to say right now. I've had an athlete who had plantar fasciitis and they gave him an injection with cortisone because we were getting, we were almost like season was about to start. Like we were within our first two meets and it was kind of the decision like, hey, he wanted to kind of go. So, okay. Track, track athlete? Yes. And whatever, they, they did the injection. He did his time off. Like I think he was towards the end of what his time off would be and the doctor was like, okay, like, I'm okay with you running one race. I mean, fair. Okay, one race. He ran his one race. We did great. All right, let's just pack this bad boy up and let's go home. But uh, anytime it's track and the 4 by 4 comes around, anyone and everyone is eligible to run in that race. Coaches literally just pick people like, oh, yeah, you go. It's terrifying. 
But anywho, this kid got picked and he was doing his deal. I would say maybe three, four, five steps before the finish. He felt a pop in his plantar fascia. At that point, there's no going back. There was no going back. I think that's my biggest example or like my, well, definitely my biggest example of someone with plantar fascia pain, but also the dangers of using cortisone, especially for plantar fascia. When I was reading about treatment options, like they would hint at like uh, corticosteroid injections, but then they always talked about the risk of rupture. That's what happened to this kid. I can't imagine, especially in the beginning of season. Oh, it was terrible. What about you? What do you, uh, you got any plantar fascia stuff? I had one pretty significant for an entire um, semester, I guess you can't really call it a dance season. Um, but when I was working at a dance clinic, we had a girl who was a ballet dancer and she had super high arches. Oh, yeah. Is that a is high arch, low arch? Is that any indication? It, it's kind of either or. So I think anything that's abnormal that could possibly put extra strain on the plantar fascia could be a risk factor. So she had very high arches and she every day in ballet would just like she couldn't stand by the end of class, basically. And so we had her every morning. We would start with like an ultrasound. Um, Our treatment varied from. Ultrasound and scraping, ultrasound and stretching. I did a lot of great toe, like I said, great toe mobilization, stretching, um, FHL. I worked on the FHL. I worked up the medial calf where the FHL sits. Um, I did some Pilates with her. I did um, post-tib rehab just because that it ran along that area too. Um, and also the posterior tib plays a huge role in supporting the arch. Yep. And we, I'm trying to remember because this is like two years ago. Um, Did you throw some glutes in there? Yes. I was going to say, not a lot of literature has looked at throwing in the glutes. There was a case study that utilized it, but it can make sense, right? If you have increased like hip adduction, you're more likely to go into overpronation than stressing the plantar fascia. So glutes might be a good option. So in this part- I love glutes. In this particular um clinic we had a lot of Pilates equipment, like the equipment equipment. So I didn't just have to do like floor Pilates. And nice. so we had a big emphasis on I I probably did core with everyone who walked in. Core That's awesome. and glutes. So we did focus on that and then also um more specifically, I feel like, I mean, we also we also just taped her arches as a Band-Aid. And of course. She knew, and she knew that. And I would also like to, like, this really reminded me of, yes, the research can say different things and can give you ideas and kind of guide your practice. But at the end of the day, research looks at groups and it looks at group mm-hmm. means. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's all about. What is the majority of a group? Like, what is it? What did this thing do? Last time I checked, we don't really treat groups. We, no, we treat individuals. We treat individuals that turn into groups. But, but especially if you're, depending on what clinic you're in, sometimes you have five individuals that need treatment. But still, at the end of the day, we're treating individuals. So just because the research is saying one thing, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work on everybody. So take the person, like, 
like you said, like someone with high arches. Maybe the literature's really mixed on does Pez Cavus create a risk factor. But this person who has Pez Cavus is having plantar fascia pain. Maybe that is the cause for her. And then also I would say it kind of goes back to mobility. Manual therapy has been shown to be pretty successful with plantar fascia pain. So she might benefit from that. You know what? Actually, um, that jogged my memory a little bit because this particular athlete, she was lacking hip external rotation. And so when I went to go watch her um, just do like a movement assessment in her ballet class because of her lack of external rotation, when she would stand with her feet in external or her hips in external rotation, heels together, um, she would compensate by pronating in her feet. So I wonder if that had something to do with it as well, because we also worked on um, control of the external rotators because it wasn't necessarily that she was weak in it. It was just like the endurance and control that she didn't really have. Absolutely. And so that that along with the glutes um, and core that we did, I mean, we got her through. She was dancing like multiple hours. I want to say like six hours a day. And so, yeah. So, I mean collegiate dancer yeah definitely so uh, we were able to get her through i mean i definitely think she got better but i think that rest also would have been nice uh, relative rest yes rest is always uh <laughs> that's always the common is well this would be nice yeah and planner fresh is hard because you're on your feet all day and also yeah you're on your feet all day humans are designed to walk yeah so that thing is pretty important in our ability to walk. So that definitely does kind of complicate things. And that's why the taping can help. At least in the short term. Cool. Do you have anything else? Nope. I think I think that's it. So again, if you guys are interested in CEUs, make sure you go down to the show notes. Um, there's a free option for the course quiz and course evaluation. Or if you want bonus content, if you want more CEUs, if you want a show outline, if you want to learn how to do toe yoga, if you want to learn how to do an arch tape, then head over to precisionat.com slash home CEUs, I believe. I believe so, yeah. Um, it's all in the show notes. And then also there's a 10% off uh, code down there. If you guys want to skip all that and just want to look at the references so you can do your own reading, you are more than welcome to check out our website, which is also in the show notes. And also the nice thing with Precision AT, it is a reporting year. And it's getting pretty close to that deadline. So they have Precision AT has all of our episodes on there that you can purchase. Um, they also have their their own CEU content from different events um, that they have done before. So it's a quick stop to get a lot of CEUs. And lastly, if you want to learn more about plantar fascia and talk about it with other clinicians, head over to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash AG Corner Podcast. And then you can join us and talk with our peers. So anyway, I think that's all. Yes. Thank you for helping us showcase athletic training behind the tape. Bye.